As you're being seated, find Acts chapter 17. Acts 17, and you can also mark Romans chapter 1. We'll look at both those texts. And a little bit different sermon this morning as we conclude this year and, and uh, start fresh next week. But I want to ask a very important question that for some might seem like a silly question to ask. But I think it's actually very relevant and very important for us to ask this question um, to ourselves and maybe even to people we know and love and care about. And so here's the question. Do you believe in God? I hope in here we're like, yeah, I hope for the most part. I would think for the most part. But do you really believe in the God that the Bible talks about? This God. The God that the Bible describes. It's a very important question to ask any time, but I think especially at the end of this year, as we move into a new year, thinking about the fact that millions of people today think what we're doing here this morning is a waste of our time. You know that, right? I would Probably billions of people would say, what are you even doing? Why are you singing those songs? Why are you praying those prayers? Why are you spending an hour or two listening to somebody, um, or 30 minutes in this case, listening to somebody talk about God. Many people in today's day and time deny even the existence of God. And then there are those not only who deny Him, but who believe there is a God, but they don't believe in the same God that we believe, the God of the Bible. And then there are people who claim to believe in the God of the Bible, but they live in such a way that denies their very confession in that God. And so really people in this world, and even, this is not just, by the way, people in other countries. I'm talking about people in our families and, our, and that work with us or that we know, though we live in the Bible Belt, though we have a very um, culture that does talk about God, there are people even around us who deny God or have a skewed view of God or like I said earlier, do not live like they really believe in God. It's important to note this, because I heard someone say this recently. I heard someone say, all these different religions really just worship the same God. you agree with that statement? And here's why I disagree with that statement. If the God of the Bible is the one true God, if that is true, then every other thing or person that someone claims to be God cannot be God, right? And if the God of the Bible is not the one true God, then maybe they're right, right? But what do we know and hold to and believe, and what would we be willing to die for? The fact that there is one true God, the God of the Bible. We, all, we confess that as a church, we believe that. We, we, we deny the, the saying that all gods lead to, the, all religions lead to the same God. All philosophies, all religions really just lead you back to the same God. And so there are people out there, maybe even who we know, who are seeking some religious experience or some connection with a higher power, and they're doing it through all these different types of means when the way to find truth is first and foremost in God's holy word which is why we proclaim the book, right? Which is why in our church, for example, no man is above the book, right? 
Christ is our great shepherd and we're under him and his word is supreme. Throughout history, cultures have worshipped different things. I saw an article this week and it was top 10 things that people worship in the world right now. And I was saddened to see in that list of this top 10, which was not done by a Christian organization, God was not in the top 10. One thing that was in the top 10, very interestingly, was Vladimir Putin. And there's apparently a sect in Russia who believes he is the second coming of the Apostle Paul, and they worship him. I was like, that's that's crazy. (laughs) Here's my point. Throughout history, people have worshipped other people. Throughout history, people have worshipped other things, like, for example, the sun, the moon, the stars, the earth, nature. People have worshipped their ancestors. People have worshipped worshipped created images or mythical gods. Even in the Bible, we see people worshipping things they don't know or understand. That's what I want you to see in Acts 17. In Acts 17, find verse 22. As the Apostle Paul is in Athens preaching, trying to spread the good news about Jesus Christ, in Acts 17, 22, it says, Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, You men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. He really says there, you're very religious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. So he comes by, he sees this altar there, It's entitled to the unknown God. So they're worshiping a God that they're calling the unknown one. Whom therefore you ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. So this unknown God that you claim to worship, Paul says, I'm going to tell you who God is. And I love his description here. Verse 24, God that made the world and all things therein. So he is what? He is creator. Seeing that he is Lord, of heaven and earth, Lord, King, Ruler, dwells not in temples made with hands. You ever thought about the fact that in our culture, in the world culture, people build churches and uh, cathedrals very beautifully, don't they? Why do they build them so beautifully? Because our mindset, I think, throughout history has been, well, if that's going to house, house God, for example, It needs to be a beautiful structure. And we do want a nice church, and I'm thankful for our church. But one thing we understand, right, is that God is not housed just in here, right? He can be housed in a little hut in an African village where they're having church this morning somewhere, right? doesn't matter how beautiful the structure. God is not contained by a structure. He goes on in verse 25 and says, Neither is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything. In other words, God does not need anything. He's self-sufficient seeing he gives to all life and breath and all things. Not only is he creator, but he is sustainer. And we know this. Every breath we take this morning is only possible because God gives us that breath. You may have, you may have had a terrible year and have nothing to be thankful for. This morning, we can be thankful for the next breath that he gives us. Verse 26 And he has made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. He is sovereign over all things. 
that they should seek the Lord, verse 27, if haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. So I'd love to go more in detail on that passage. I won't do that this morning except to say these people were worshiping someone they called an unknown God. And the Apostle Paul says, here is who God is. And in just a few verses there, he beautifully describes who God is in a way that we could take that and pray those things. God, thank you for being creator of heaven and earth. Thank you for being our Lord. Thank you for giving us all things that we need. We can take these things and sing them, pray them, preach them, and comfort our souls with them. So, I ask again, do you believe in the God of the Bible? And as I ask that question again, another, another question I have, or another thought I have is, what about people who don't read the Bible, or don't have a preacher, or don't, you know, go to church a lot? What about those people who maybe just don't really know a lot about God and some of you have been blessed, right, to grow up around church and grow up around Christians and hear things. And I told y'all before, I didn't grow up in church myself, but I was blessed to have grandparents who would, from time to time, take me to church and tell me things about God. And had a good childhood friend who would take me to church with him and, and make me sit up in one of the front pews and listen to the preaching. And after the sermon, this is a 12-year-old friend, 13-year-old friend, after the sermon would say, do you know what the preacher was talking about? Do you know Jesus? where now a lot of our 12 and 13-year-olds are usually playing in the pews or whatever, including my own sometimes, he was like, do you know Jesus? And so though I didn't have, though I didn't read the Bible at home as a kid, though I didn't have weekly church attendance as a kid, I did have some people pouring into me. And some of y'all know what that blessing is like to have people investing in you. But what about those people who don't? Well, that's where I want you to turn to Romans 1 for a moment and see, and listen to this, Romans 1.18 As we consider the fact, the question, do you believe in the God of the Bible? Romans 1.18, the same apostle who we read about over in Acts wrote this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them or made known in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. In other words, everyone can look at creation and somewhere deep down know there's something out there bigger than themselves. Just by simply seeing the beauty of creation. It goes on, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Romans 1 tells us that all men are accountable to God. There's no excuse to say, well, I didn't grow up in church, so I didn't hear the right stuff when I was younger. I didn't grow up in the Bible Belt. I didn't grow up here or there. I wasn't smart enough or spiritual enough or this, that, or another. There is no excuse. Verse 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, and to birds, and four-footed beasts, and creeping things. So they began to worship idols. Wherefore, 
God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. And listen to verse 25. They changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Now I'll read this text to us this morning to remind us again that there is no excuse Especially for us who hear Bible preaching and Bible teaching, there is no excuse not to know, love, and worship the God of the Bible. But people refuse to acknowledge Him. People choose to worship other things. Why? Why do people refuse to worship God? Their heart is darkened by sin, right? Because of Adam's fall in the Garden of Eden, the Bible says, because of his fall, we're all sinners with a sin nature, so that we refuse God unless he does something to overcome that refusal, right? When it comes down to it, everyone must answer this question. Do I worship the creator or do I worship the created? We in this room have heard the word of God. We've been blessed to hear the word, read the word. We have multiple copies. I forgot my copy this morning, and guess what? I have one here, right? I have some more in the office back there. We're blessed to have copies of God's word. Us who've heard it, can we say this morning, together, we believe in the one true God. And nothing, nothing will change that, will it? I don't believe so. I don't believe for most of us in this room that believe in God, who know God through Christ, I don't believe anything will happen that will cause us to turn and reject Christ. I pray it certainly would not. So let's think about God for a moment. If we say we worship the one true God of the Bible, what is he like? How can we know him in his fullness? Well, first of all, we must say he is incomprehensible. We can't know him fully, can we? We just can't. Um, he is too great to be known fully. Um, and if you could know him fully, would he truly even be God? Well, here's what we can say, though. Everything we need to know about him, he will reveal to us. And he has revealed to us through his word. Everything you need to know about the God of the Bible, you find out as you read and study his holy word. Um. And I said earlier, right, that people are looking everywhere to find things about God or find truth or find meaning or purpose in life, and we know it's found here. Uh, I was thinking about my kids. When my boys were little, I remember they would play hide-and-go-seek in the house. Y'all's kids ever do that? And now my girls are doing the same thing. But so sometimes this would happen, right, on hide-and-go-seek in the house. The youngest usually would close their eyes and, and start counting one, two, three, four, five. And the oldest would pretend to go out of the room to another room, but would come back in the room we're in and just get behind the curtains, right? And you can see their feet sticking out. But the youngest says, all right, ready or not, here I come. And the youngest is oblivious, right? They think they probably went to the back of the house. And meanwhile, their feet are poking out. You can see their hair. You can see whatever. And they run through the whole house. And as a parent, you're just like, come on, you, know, you should be able to figure this out. And finally, they come back, and you give them a hint, look over there, right? And they look over there. I did that with my boys, now I'm doing that same thing with my girls. And I give you that illustration because that, that person seeking 
reminds me of people today seeking after meaning or seeking after God. They're, they're going all over the world, all over the place, trying everything they can possibly try to find God. And it might be through a relationship with a person. It might be through you know, some type of uh, substance that they're abusing. It might be through all types of religions they try to dive into. Seeking, seeking, and seeking. And always coming up short. But if we're going to know God in his fullness, as we want to do, we need to know a little bit about his attributes. And we need to know what his word says about him. I heard the song years ago, I don't know who sang it, but it went through the entire Bible, and it would tell you a little bit about who God is in every book of the Bible. Are y'all familiar? I'm not even sure what the song's called. Listen to these lyrics. As we think about who God is from Genesis to Revelation. It says, in Genesis, he's the breath of life. In Exodus, the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's our high priest. In Numbers, the fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he's Moses' voice. In Joshua, he is salvation. In Judges, he is the lawgiver. In Ruth, the kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, our trusted prophet. In Kings and Chronicles, he is sovereign. In Ezra, a true and faithful scribe. Nehemiah, he's the rebuilder of broken walls and lives. In Esther, he is Mordecai's courage. In Job, the timeless redeemer. In Psalms, he is our morning song. In Proverbs, wisdom's cry. Ecclesiastes, the time and season. In the Song of Solomon, he is the lover's dream. In Isaiah, he's the prince of peace. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. In Lamentations, the cry for Israel. Ezekiel, he's the call from sin. In Daniel, the stranger in the fire. In Hosea, he is forever faithful. In Joel, he is the Spirit's power. In Amos, the arms that carry us. In Obadiah, he's the Lord, our Savior. In Jonah, he's the great missionary. In Micah, the promise of peace. In Nahum, he is our strength and our shield. In Habakkuk and Zephaniah, he's pleading for revival. In Haggai, he restores the lost heritage. In Zechariah, our fountain. In Malachi, he's the son of righteousness. That's just the Old Testament. New Testament, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he is God, man, Messiah. In Acts, he is the fire from heaven. In Romans, he's the grace of God. In Corinthians, the power of love. In Galatians, he is freedom from the curse of sin. In Ephesians, our glorious treasure. Philippians, the servant's heart. In Colossians, he is the Godhead Trinity. Thessalonians, our coming king. In Timothy, Titus, and Philemon, he's our mediator and our faithful pastor. In Hebrews, the everlasting covenant. In James, the one who heals the sick. In First and Second Peter, he is our shepherd. In John and in Jude, he's the lover coming for his bride. In the Revelation, he is king of kings and lord of lords. The song goes on and says, he's the prince of peace, son of man, lamb of God, great I am. Our God, our savior, he is Jesus Christ, the Lord. And when, when time is no more, he is. From Genesis to Revelation, we learn who God is. If we want to know him and worship the one true God, we find that truth there, don't we, in the scriptures. And that really just scratched the surface of who he is. And this God that that song describes, this God that the Bible describes, he 
deserves and demands that we worship him the way he desires us to. He desires it, he deserves it, and demands that we worship him the way the Bible says to worship him. We can't just go out and make it up on our own. We must worship him the way he's laid out, which is why we pray, sing, preach, give, love, serve, because these are the things that God's called us to do. Do you believe in the God of the Bible? One of the best ways to study him is to study his attributes. What is God like? And if I know him, these attributes become reasons to praise and be thankful. If I don't know him, these attributes, I think, should be like, let me think about this for a moment. Let me give you a few. Some attributes of God from the scripture. I'll go quickly. He is omnipotent, which means he is all-powerful. Luke 1.37 says, nothing will be impossible with God. He is omniscient, which means he is all-knowing. Psalm 147, verse 5 says, Great is our Lord. He is abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. He is omnipresent. Jeremiah 23, 23 says, Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Which means he is present everywhere. Number four, he is immutable, which means he is unchanging. Malachi 3, 6 says, I, the Lord, do not change. He is eternal. Psalm 90, verse 2 Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He is holy. We sang it this morning. Isaiah 6, 3. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. He is love. 1 John 4, 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. He is merciful. Psalm 103, 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He is just. Psalm 11, 7. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. He is faithful. Deuteronomy 7 and 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps his covenant. He is good. Psalm 34, 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. He is gracious. Psalm 145, 8. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He is wise, Romans 16, 27. He is creator, Genesis 1, 1. He is sovereign, 1 Chronicles 29, 11. He is truth, John 14, 6. He is provider, Philippians 4, 19. He is righteous, Deuteronomy 32. He is judge, Deuteronomy 32, verse 4. He is infinite. Job eleven seven says, can you fathom the mysteries of God? Can you probe the limits of the Almighty? He is unlimited. He is majestic, Psalm 8, 9. He is compassionate, Psalm 86. He is incomprehensible, Psalm 145. He is transcendent. Psalm 113, 4 says, The Lord is high above the nations and is glory above the heavens. He is light, according to 1 John 1, 5. He is a giver of wisdom, according to James 1, 5. He is patient, according to 2 Peter 3. He is deliverer, according to Psalm 50. He is shepherd, Psalm 23.1. He is redeemer in Job 19. Comforter in 2 Corinthians 1. He's a resurrector. Jesus said to her, John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. 
He is a friend in John 15, 14. He is a refuge in Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And he is Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. I just gave you quickly about 35 attributes of God, all of which he deserves to be praised and worshipped because that is a part of who he is. But again, those things do not even scratch the surface of who God is. Do you believe in this God? So why does it matter? I think it matters because I think most of us want to know our Creator. Even if someone does not know Christ and they're not a Christian, I think there's something in them that's like, you know, is there something out there bigger than me? That kind of thing, right? And of course, they're darkened by sin, so they're not turning to Christ apart from hearing the gospel. But I still think people like that have big questions they consider like, what am I doing here? What's the purpose of life? You know, those types of questions. And I think those are good questions even for us to ask as Christians. To ask this question as we end a year today and start a new year tomorrow. Like, what are we doing? Where are we going? And why? Spiritually speaking. And in your life and in your family as a church, what are we doing and where are we going? And, and why are we doing things that we do? I think those are good questions to consider. We just see them through a, you know, God-centered lens, right? Where, where am I going? Wherever God sends me, right? What am I doing? Whatever God tells me to do. Why am I doing it? Because he is my Lord and I follow him, right? So we see these things through a, I hope, a God-centered lens. But sometimes even Christians can maybe lose sight of where we're going, lose sight of what we're doing, and lose sight of why we're doing it by distracting ourselves with things of this world. Here's an example. How many of you today or this week have said, you know what, starting on January 1st, Monday, January 1st, I'm going to read my Bible, and I'm going to do it all year long. That's a great thing to do, by the way. I think that's a great thing, and some of you do that. I love that. Um, but how often throughout the year do you get distracted? It happens, right? How many people say, you know what, so I'm going to start a new year off, you know, get back in church, full-fledged in church. I love it. That's what we should. That's a great place to be. We should all be here as much as we can, right? But how, how, how often is life distracted? Things happen. And so for me, I think, what is it that God tells me to do that is non-negotiable? And we can list those things out. Number one is to trust Him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength and follow Him that way, trust in Christ. Understand we're nothing apart from Christ. We are, as Jason told us earlier, we deserve hell and we deserve eternal punishment. We deserve, deserve separation from God because we're sinners and we go against God. But yet, as we sang about, He has made His enemies His people. He has redeemed us who were lost. So we see these truths of trusting Him, obeying Him, serving Him. We see these as non-negotiable so that we are not distracted through the year, through the week, through the day. So I, I pray for our church, the Christians here that would say, Lord, help me not be distracted this year. Help me not sidetrack myself with things of this world, when I know there are eternal things I need to be focused on. As I move here toward the, the end, um, I think when it comes down to it, we act on the things we really believe. I think when it comes down to it, 
we act on the things we really believe. And so if you really believe God is real and his word is real, then you will, to some degree, strive to follow what this word says. Will you be able to follow it perfectly? Of course not, right? None of us can. But if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, and if you have begun to follow him in this relationship through his word and the Holy Spirit indwelling you, if that's happened, then you should at least much of the time act on what you believe. Does it really matter what we say if our actions don't match our words? Then what we say doesn't really matter, does it? If we really believe in the God of the Bible, it will affect how we live in 2024. If our lives stay the same and are not changed by Bible reading and prayer and church and the things God's called us to do, if those things don't change us, then I would argue we don't know the God of the Bible. I've used this illustration many times, but if I walk out on the road after service and a big truck hits me, right, is that going to change the way I look? It's going to change a lot of stuff, right? You'll, you'll need a new pastor next week. Uh, but because when a truck hits, what happens? It's going to move, it's going to change my body, right? Well, in a similar way, when the God who created all things by saying, let it be, let there be light, let there be this, let there be that. When the God who does that, according to Corinthians, when he shines the light of the truth of the gospel into our hearts, it changes things. And so when my friend this week, his wife got hit by a car at Christmas shopping, he texted me, here's a picture of my car. First thing I said was, oh, that's totaled. He's like, yeah, that's totaled. Listen, when you come to Christ, and Christ saves you, your life is totaled in the sense that from that point on, you are a new creation. And you're to walk differently. Everyone in the Bible who truly put their faith in God lived differently. And the extreme example of that is the Apostle Paul, who we read about in Acts and read his writing in Romans. This man went from persecuting Christians in Acts chapter 9, and 21 verses later, he is preaching the good news of Christ. His life was totaled as he met Christ. But every one of us has our own path to choose and, and travel as far as faith goes and how we, who we want to follow. And, right? we can't, I can't make you follow Christ, can I? I can encourage you and point you to Christ, but it's like we're standing at a field and looking across and trying to decide how, will I, how, how I'm going to cross this path. You might can take many different paths. But here's one thing I believe and hold to and we believe as a church. There are not many paths to heaven. There are not many paths to eternal life. There are not many paths to your sin being forgiven and you experiencing eternal, everlasting joy. Some people take the atheist path and they say, there's no God, I just don't believe in God. Some people take an, an agnostic path and they say, well, that kind of stuff is just unknowable. It's just unknowable, so why worry about it? Some people even take the religious path. I'll just depend on these set of rules or traditions that I was taught. I'll depend on those things, and that'll be the right path to heaven. 
And by the way, whether you take the atheist path, the agnostic path, the religious path, or any other path, they're not going to get you to heaven. They're not going to get you eternal life and joy and peace. Only one path does that, right? And in John 14, Jesus said, I am, what did he say? The way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Nobody can walk the path for you. Your parents can guide you in the right direction. Your church can preach the truth. You can even read the Bible or follow your favorite teacher. But until you follow Christ in faith, love, and obedience, you are not on the right path. So the big question, although I've been asking you the entire sermon, do you believe in the God of the Bible? The big question is really this for all of us. And this is what I told someone recently when they said, they said, well, all religions kind of lead to the same thing. Here's what I said. What do you say about Jesus? That's what it all boils down to. And is he God or is he not? Did he die for sinners or did he not? Is he the resurrected Lord or is he not? And if the Bible is wrong and if Christ is not those things, then you should ignore all of religion and go on and live your life. But if the Bible is right and if Christ is God, Savior, and Lord, and I believe with all my heart that is true, and like many of you, I will die believing that, if those things are true, if these things about Jesus Christ are true, we must believe in him and follow him forever. Do you believe in the God of the Bible? I hope nobody would leave here today saying no to that question. And all of us who do believe this and love God and worship God, that this would just encourage us and inspire us to live out this 2024 as the best year we ever can have as far as serving God. But if this has made you in any way question, maybe I need to think more about Jesus. Maybe I need to think more about my life and my present and my future. Then when we're done today, I encourage you to grab myself or Jason. and We'd love to share with you more about Christ. Let's pray.